So we're in the middle of a sermon series called Transparency Matters, and it's based on Ephesians chapter 4. I encourage you to open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> this is the fourth message in the series. We started out at, with verse 1, and we talked about with transparency, unity matters. And then we looked at the next few verses, starting at verse 7, and we saw that in transparency, spiritual gifts matter. Our gift-based ministry matters. And then the next week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, and we saw that spiritual leadership matters. And today, in transparency, we see that love matters. We will be starting with verse 14. As an overview of this message today, I believe that we need to keep in, in mind that love matters to Jesus. He desires his church to grow up into his likeness. He calls us to a transparent work in the love of the great I am, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the, the living one, the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. Love matters. As I read these verses, 14 through 16, I want you to think about the four points I'm going to be covering today, and they are this. Pressures in life seem to toss us back and forth. The second point is that transparency and growth come by speaking truth in love. The third point, transparent love causes a church to function and function properly. And then we're going to jump into the last book of the Bible in Revelation, and we're going to see what happens if love does not matter anymore. So let's open up God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 14 starts out with the word then. Like a therefore or like a but in Scripture. It means that you need to go back and look at what was written before this verse to understand what it's talking about. So we find out that transparency matters in unity and in gift-based ministry and in spiritual leadership. Then, verse 14, we will no longer be like infants. We will no longer live in juvenile 
gullibility. Pressures in life, point one, seek to toss us back and forth. I want you to think as I talk about this verse, what are the pressures in your life that are seeking to push you back and forth? Tossed back and forth, blown here and there by every wind of teaching or by every wind of doctrine. The metaphor of a ship losing all control is so clear in this scripture. The ship is drifting at the mercy of the storm, tossed by the waves and carried from time to time to every blast that hits it. And then as you look into the, this verse a little bit further, we get to that word teaching or, or doctrine. The word translated teaching or doctrine is a general word for all deliberate teaching, all deliberate doctrine. Typically when I read this verse, I am thinking about the doctrine within the church. But we have deliberate teaching. We have false doctrine coming at us from all angles. Satan is not going to limit his dominion and his battle to the church. He will control and he will seek to divide. You know, that's Satan's trump card is division. Division in our lives. And he will use it wherever he can to get his greatest foothold. His cunning and craftiness, as it talks about here in verse 14, work through those who, who seek power, especially the power that comes through deceitful scheming. Satan seeks to act on the understanding at your heart. It includes all influence, consciously exercised to a definite end. Satan has developed what we could call the doctrine of the world. He empowers those who are not stabilized by God's word to preach his doctrine, to teach his doctrine, to exercise waves and winds of deceitful teaching. He uses the offices of politics. Not that all politicians are involved in evil scheming, but there is more evil released to have a voice in America today than any time I can remember. We allow ourselves to be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind. Perhaps it's because of our increased technologies, maybe just because of our free flow of information, good and bad. Maybe it's because of hate erupting with absolutely no consequences or something else. But the fact is, we live in a world that has shifted. 
I was brought up in a world where my parents were post-World War II, post-Korean War, and the America that they lived in and that I was brought up in had a positive Christian bias. Everyone knew where the local church was located. There was a respect for God, and most people belonged to a church. And there was a pastor that the community could count on to bring peace and love to individuals and into the communities as he led his church into the communities. We are living today in a country that is anti-Christian bias. This is based on research. This is not my opinion. The deconstruction process. You know, those processes are not stopping at the public square. People are leaving the church. We are in unprecedented times. In 2019, I remember the Gallup poll results were saying that church membership is sharply down. And then just two years later, that brings us today to today, following the pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, the Gallup poll recently discovered that less than 50% of the people in the United States of America are attending church. It has never, never been this way since the beginning of the United States of America. We are in unprecedented times. Let me just reassure you, though, that this is God's church. And God's church will survive. It is his church, it is his plan, and he will keep his church around until Jesus returns. Thank you, Jesus. But a, a return to the Christian America, it's probably not going to happen at least anytime soon. We are now in post-Christian America. If and when Christian America does come back, it's probably not going to look anything like what we've seen before. Christian America may not look anything like what we have known in our lifetime. You know, younger people today, they're looking for something simple. They're not impressed with the, the big, ornate buildings like the previous generations were. Younger people are, are not excited about those big gymnasiums and big programs that church was designed to provide for the younger generation. What they are interested in is simplicity, transparency, and integrity. Younger people today want to know us and they want to trust us. Here is how we can restore trust. Simplicity, transparency, 
and integrity. I've got four points on that. Do the right thing in the right way. The second thing they're going to be looking for is for us to do the right thing in the right way every time. The third thing they're going to be looking for for from us is to do the right thing in the right way for a long time. Can they trust us? And the fourth thing is do the right thing in the right way with no hidden agenda. Many political arguments are attempting to deceive those who are seeking the truth. Satan uses a sleight of hand and a craftiness devoted to the systematic plan of deceit. So what are we to do about it? Well, we need to continue reading God's word. Let's look at verse 15 and look at point two, transparency and growth. Come by speaking truth in love. Christians often talk about the need to speak truth and love, and here it is in verse 15. It's a command for us to speak truth in love. In post-Christian America, we will find the need to share difficult truths in a gentle kind, inoffensive matter, m- manner. God's word is truth. If God is calling us to be transparent, we need to consider some very practical ways that God describes for us to behave as the body of Christ. Not unlike what we saw in the previous verses. He's calling us to Function as a body, and I've recommended that you all read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. If you haven't done it yet, read it this week. What does it mean to function as the body of Christ? Well, what if we don't? What happens when we do not honor one another above ourselves? What happens when we're not, we are not, or when we are, I'm sorry, when we are content with just riding the waves and we're content with being blown from here to there? What happens when Christians are apathetic about what God is doing and wants to do with us? Let me just take a moment here to describe what the word apathy means. I don't think I knew that for a long time in my life. Apathy means you, you behave like you really don't care. You just absolutely do nothing about it. So what does it mean when Christians are apathetic about what God is calling them to do? What happens when we excuse our sin or do not have a hunger for growing in the Lord? Well, verse 15, it calls us to speak the truth in love. What happens when we suffer with one another who suffers? We grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Verse 15. What happens when we honor one of our sisters or brothers in Christ? We rejoice together and we grow up into him 
who is the head that is Jesus Christ. What happens when we come alongside and we help one another in need? We share our God-given resources and we grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. What happens when we bathe the truth that we confess in love? And when love is the lifeblood of our service and our teaching and ministry to one another, we glorify our Creator God and we grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. What happens when we lead with humility and courage because that is the will of God? We are transparent and we humbly grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. What happens when we are constantly rubbing off on one another and we share what God is doing in our lives for His glory? We share what it means to be holy and righteous and grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. And what happens when we hold each other accountable to the truth in love until it pervades all of our lives? This is what we're going to talk more about next week. We are not conformed any longer to this world but we're transformed by allowing Jesus to renew our minds so that we can grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ, the Anointed One. We need to speak the truth in love. Our goal and our means are clearly laid out here. The goal is to be more like Christ, to be more like the Anointed One, our head, The means is simple. It's lovingly. Lovingly proclaim the truth. Truth and love are not to be compromised in any way. They are both essential to the glory of Christ. In transparency, love matters. And the third point, getting on to verse 16, how does... Transparent love causes a church to function. Transparent love causes the church to function. Let me just read verse 16 again. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each person is a part of of the whole body. Each part has its own key role to play in the overall development of the whole body that is the church. No part is to be neglected. Each is valuable and each is important to reaching the final goal that God has for us. We are reminded here again of gift based ministry let's quit being apathetic and figure out what our spiritual gifts are god gave them to you you should know if you don't know we have a tool for you to help figure it out it's a piece of paper in the back you go through and answer some questions score yourself figure out what your spiritual gift is have you figured it out yet if you have 
Have you told Robin about it? The church office needs to know. We need to fill out our, our picture of what this church is. Who has what gifts? Robin is going to put them into a program called Power Church. That's where our church directory is. And we're going to know when there's a ministry that this church is being called to do, we can go to that program, we can call up who's got those spiritual gifts, we'll call you on the phone and say, hey, if you haven't found your ministry yet, maybe God is calling you to this. Pray about it and just see what God's still quiet voice is for you and what the ministry is that he's calling you to do. And even before we call you, you can come to the church and say, I feel God is calling me to this ministry. And part of what the leadership team is going to be talking about next week is how do we empower you to do that? That is the church coming to life because we are functioning according to the way God has gifted us. We must be diligent to make each part properly function through each supporting ligament. A person might be doing the or might be in the right place and they may be gifted in the right way, but if they are not functional, then we still can't help one another. We all need to be diligent to learn our spiritual gifts and to serve God through our giftedness. When the individual parts are functioning as God designed, then the whole body, the whole church grows. Now we need to be careful about learning what our spiritual gift is and then just becoming individualistic. Too often people think about their own growth rather than the whole part of the body, the whole body growing. That's when people leave church. Somehow, they think that they can function according to God's plan by sitting in their living room or going out in God's creation every Sunday morning. It's clear in our scripture that we need one another. We need the body. We need to be our part in the body. Have you ever prayed, Lord, Help me grow so that everyone will benefit? Probably not. But we should. We should consider that prayer. Let me say it again. Lord, help me grow so that everyone can benefit. As each one of us does our work in love, we will build up the church. Church growth is directly related to love. Transparent love matters. Love is God's way. Love is the life of God being poured out in our lives. Loving Jesus captures everything good that's supposed to happen. Love brings us together. Loving Jesus allows us to function through the pressures in life that seek to toss us back and forth. Loving Jesus holds the promise of everything good that can happen. 
This picture of love in the church is rarely what we see in our local churches. On the other hand, we can be sure that it is exactly, it's exactly this end that God is working toward in us. We may not know exactly what Dunphy Missionary Church will look like in the future. In post-Christian America, but we can be sure that the treasures of love never lose their value, never loses its gleam. So what happens if love does not matter anymore? The last point. We need to turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. And what we're going to see here in Revelations chapter 2 is that this scripture is referring back to what I'm talking about right now in Ephesians chapter 4. You see, in Revelations, there was this message from Jesus to the seven churches. And the first church at the beginning of chapter 2 was the church in Ephesus. Wow, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? The book of Ephesians. And we know that these are Jesus' words because we can go back to the previous chapter in chapter 1, starting halfway through verse 17, and Jesus says this, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is Jesus speaking. So let me just read verses 1 through 7 from Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now let's not think this is just to those people back then, back in Ephesus. Jesus is speaking to us here today. Dunphy Missionary Church, listen up. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first if you do not repent. I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him, whoever comes, I will give the right to eat. 
from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus speaks to our church today. He addresses the seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3. He's speaking to the future church of Ephesus. He could be speaking to us today or or in our future regarding these verses. And notice in verses 2 and 3, he starts out with commendation. He's happy for what we've done. Here in Ephesus, the people were working hard, working hard to keep the church pure and to serve the name of Jesus. And Jesus praised them for those attitudes. That was addressing Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, right? We too should strive as a body to develop a church that excels at hard work and purity. The church did not allow Satan's deceitful scheming to win. From the outside, this looks like an excellent church, right? But from Jesus' vantage point, uh, he was the one walking among the lampstands. Jesus discerns that everything is not quite as good as what it looks like on the outside. So in verse 4, Jesus speaks some words of condemnation. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The problem the church in Ephesus had was they looked fine from the outside, but they had a deep heart problem. So let us look at Jesus' diagnosis here. They had forsaken or abandoned their first love. The Greek word here is very strong for abandon or forsaken. It's associated with divorce. The idea here is not that someone just slowly drifts away from their first love, but that they abandon, they have forsaken it, they tear it apart. You know, divorce is an intentional ripping apart of a single body. Two people coming together as one in the presence of God. The act of filing for for divorce is an intentional act that results in abandoning that relationship, forsaking that relationship. And that is what the church had done with Jesus. How was their love, their first love for Jesus? It seems that people were so busy doing things, doing things for Jesus that they had neglected their relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to be real honest with you today. These words of Jesus became very personal to me this week. Jesus was speaking these words directly to me as if he was speaking to Peter when Peter was on the shore in John chapter 21. Do you love me, Alan? Oh, yes, Lord. You know I love you. I'm a pastor. You know how much I love teaching your word. Do you love me, 
Alan, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. You know how much I love to help churches grow as part of the uh, interim pastor ministry process. I love to help churches prepare for growing your kingdom. And Jesus said one more time, Do you love me, Alan? It became evident that I had indeed fallen into the same trap as the church in Ephesus had experienced. There are a lot of times when I am so busy doing things for Jesus that I have abandoned that personal relationship between me and my God. Am I alone here? Even if this doesn't apply to the rest of you, I know that there's a personal application here for me. And how was their love for each other? Jesus' words in Revelation 2 makes it clear that the people had become legalistic in their desire to keep their doctrine and their conduct pure. They had forsaken, they had abandoned their transparent love for each other, the love that, that we have been taught here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. During his earthly ministry, Jesus demonstrated this kind of love. He, he pointed to the significance of a loving relationship with one another. Sound doctrine and good conduct are certainly important, but not when they come at the expense of loving Jesus and loving one another. The great thing about all seven of the messages to the churches in chapter in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, is that five of the churches get a condemnation. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there at condemning them. He counsels them. He counsels us. He does that starting in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 2. He says, remember, repent, and return. Remember the height from which you have fallen. When I first fell in love with Pamela, I could not wait to spend time with her. And then when I was with her, I just hated to leave and have to go back home. Fortunately, 40 years later, I still cherish my time with her can't wait to be with you and don't want to leave. We need our relationships with Jesus to be that way. We need to remember what it was like when we first fell in love with Jesus. We need to remember those days that we could not wait to get into God's Word and learn more about Jesus and, and be with Him as He revealed Himself to us. We need to remember what it was like to set some time aside to just be with Jesus in prayer. We need to remember when we could not wait to share with everybody else 
what Jesus was doing in our life. But you know, just reminiscing about it is not enough. Jesus says we also need to repent. The command to repent is present in this council here and to the other churches that receive the words of condemnation from Jesus. Most of us probably know the word repent means to make a U-turn. It requires both a change in our mindset and a change in our behavior, right? We see this clearly in the third step of the remedy that Jesus tells us. He says, return. Do the works that you did at first. If we have forsaken or abandoned our first love, it's not because Jesus has moved. He's still there. He's still waiting with his arms wide open for us to return back to the basics that allowed us to develop our relationship with him and to build the church through love because love matters. And the consequences of failing to heed the counsel of Jesus, they are very serious. In this case, in Revelation chapter 2, the failure to repent will result in Jesus removing the lampstand. It's pretty straightforward if we keep in mind the function of the lampstand is that which allows us to reflect the light of Jesus to all those around us. What Jesus is saying that if the church fails to return to our first love, he will remove our ability to be a positive influence for Jesus in our community. Do you love me? If so, and if we follow his counsel, we're promised in verse 7, he, he and she, we all who have an ear, let us hear that the Spirit says to the churches, to them who overcome, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's where I want to be. How about you? So in quick review, the pressures in life seem to want to toss us back and forth. But we cannot be apathetic toward God and his church when the world around us is seeking to deceive and to destroy. Transparency and growth come by speaking truth in love. Our transparent love causes the church to function to do the right thing in the right way every time for a long time with no hidden agenda. And what happens if love does not matter anymore? It's pretty clear that we will lose our lampstand, but we can repent. Repentance is so important. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you tie your word together from the beginning to the end, the first to the last. 
We thank you for your instruction to the church in Ephesus and how we can apply it to ourselves today. Help us to be transparent by loving one another because love matters so much. And help us to never forget our first love, our love to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.